Hello and welcome to the 90 Hayden Road podcast, where we focus on all things Hopkinton and Hopkinton High School. My name is Evan Bishop. I'm the principal here at HHS, and we have a wonderful episode for you. Today we'll have a couple of segments on the episode. The first is we'll be discussing how to navigate this um, acceptable and appropriate dialogue and discourse within our classrooms when it comes to this politically charged environment. Uh, we'll be talking with Mr. Hanna. Uh, Mr. Simos, our, our AP government and history teacher here at the high school, as well as a number of students within his AP government class. But first, I wanted to take a second to talk a little bit about a topic that I have been discussing with students, staff, and parents uh, now, not only this year, but for the last number of years, and that's school start time. And I think there's a lot of research out there that talks about how important it is for high school students to get the appropriate amount of sleep. And we, as a district, put together a committee that I was part of back in 2015-16 where we really looked at our start time, uh, adolescent sleep patterns, uh, and the cost that it would uh, take to potentially move the high school start time to be a little bit later. We were focusing on that kind of 8.30 time frame. Now, the committee was made up of, uh, of over a dozen people from teachers to community members, uh, and we took it about eight months to analyze um, data read articles, and uh, make a proposal uh, to the school committee back in October of 2016. And what the committee found was based on the different costs and some of the challenges when it came to after-school activities, that they were not going to make the recommendation to push back the start time at the high school and the middle school. Instead, they were going to make other adjustments, such as uh, creating uh, Hiller Days at the high school, which is every other Friday starting school at 8.15, as well as allowing juniors to have privileges second semester of their junior year. Those were some of the good things, I think, that came out of some of the discussions. Now, I completely understand the argument around a later start time. I think it's challenging here in Hopkinton with the way that our elementary schools are set up and obviously with after-school activities. But there are a number of schools around the area that have made this change since the, the committee met back in 2015-16. I know our neighbors, Ashland and, and Westboro, have, have made some changes, and I know some communities up on the North Shore have as well. Now, at a recent school council meeting, which is a group of staff, students, and parents, we have about 28 people as part of our school council, which is one of the largest councils uh, around, which is good to get the different viewpoints and, and, and feedback. We played a game called Agree or Disagree where I make a statement and people either go on one side of the room if they agree with it or the other side of the room and they disagree and they have to defend their, their, their point. And I talked about should we explore as a school council a later start time at the high school. And people went to d different corners and it was interesting to kind of step back and, and look at who was in each corner. And the 10 students as part of the committee went to the, the disagree side of the room as they did not want to start to explore start time. And each one of them had a different reason why they didn't want to do that, which I thought was very interesting, where all the adults, on the other hand, were on the other side of the room about wanting to look at having this conversation. And I think it's sometimes we need to, to really listen to our students and, uh, and get their feedback in the process. And I remember students back a few years ago as part of the committee that, that, that also expressed not wanting to move the start time back. But seeing that divide was very, was fascinating to me. Now, it's a topic that we will certainly continue to explore. It'll be a topic, especially with new central administration as well as some new school committee members. It, it's, it's worth the discussion to see if that can work here in Hopkinton. And, and I'm all for having that discussion because I can see the pros and cons, certainly. 
But I think it's one of those things here where, as a school district, we always like to be ahead of the curve and cutting edge. And this is one of those topics where maybe we're going to kind of sit back and see how things go with other schools before making any change if, if we are going to go ahead and do that. Um, you know, I've talked to representatives at Ashland and Westboro and, and, and Burlington, a, a school up on the closer to the North Shore, and there's mixed reviews from student staff and, and parents about the later start time. So this might be one of those topics where um, we will continue to look into. I don't foresee us making any major decisions on this within the next school year or two, but it, it's, a, it's a topic that we will ask for some feedback on moving forward. But um, to answer any any questions of people wondering what direction we're leaning in, I think it's going to be one of those things where we see the value, we know how important it is, but we might kind of, you know, be the caboose on this a little bit and see how things go and, and make decisions based on feedback that we get from other schools that if, if and when we go in this direction, we do so uh, having all the facts and important things that we need to make the best decision possible. So that being said, and switching gears a little bit, um, we are joined now with, with Mr. Hanna, one of our assistant principals, as well as, as Mr. Simos, and a few of uh, our AP government students um, here to talk a little bit about the political landscape, but particularly in our AP government classes, and, and, and trying to have that appropriate um, discourse where every student and staff member is heard um, and everyone is respecting each other's opinions. Well, uh, thanks, Evan, and uh, we're excited to uh, begin this next part of our podcast. I'm here with uh, Coach Simos, our AP government and politics teacher, and two of his students, uh, Will Hubner and Sage Ratcliffe. Uh, welcome, uh, guys. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank okay. you. So I want to just set the stage for our listening audience. Um, in our news cycle in the first few months of school, we've had a number of noteworthy events, uh, from a controversial Supreme Court appointment to a thriving economy, uh, a border patrol issue with, it, with a caravan coming up from Central America, a hate crime in a synagogue in Pittsburgh, uh, pipe bombs being delivered to uh, supporters of particular political parties, and continued controversy of the NFL national anthem. Uh, we're less than 24 hours away from midterm elections when all these things are ripe on the minds of Americans. And we get to talk with some students and a teacher who try to navigate this polarizing political world on a daily basis here in the AP government politics class. And I guess I just want to kind of kick this story off with how is it learning uh, about these topics in an environment where when we go home and turn on the news, uh, it, it, it's so polarizing, it's so divisive, it's it, it, at times angry. How, how does the teacher manage that and how do you as students kind of work within that as members of this class that's it's different in each class because the dynamic is different but it's definitely um, significantly more challenging than it used to be um, with uh, an era where we have to be particularly concerned about um, not just what we believe and what we say but how we say it um, so you know it's I, I'm a little biased but I think it's a lot harder for me than it is for the kids because we welcome them to uh, offer their opinions um, and my role I think is more of devil's advocate. And coach just for the listening audience to understand how many years have you been teaching this class? Oh, ballpark? Uh, <laughs> 20-ish. So for oh, two decades of teaching yeah. this curriculum and and you would t say that at this particular moment this is one of the more challenging times for you to navigate with your class the, the topics at hand? Definitely, yeah, and I don't think it's just because of the of the Washington mix. I think it's more because 
<clears throat> culturally we've changed. It's a it's a different um, different environment in terms of political correctness and and uh, sensitivity to issues. Cool. So for the students involved, Sage and Will, when we talk to you, feel free to share your particular opinions about mm -hmm. uh, the politics of the day. And but I'd like to start maybe with you, Sage, and, and have you give us a, a general opinion on how how does the class feel in terms of the uh, availability of, of, of sharing opinions and, and maybe the respect level that exists as you kind of navigate this world? Um, I think it's definitely a lot easier to share your opinions in the classroom because in I guess I'll call it the real world. You, you're walking on eggshells a lot of the time because the political climate is so divisive. And it's really easy to just um, slip up and say something and then have your idea immediately rejected. Whereas I feel like in the classroom, if someone is expressing an opinion, even if they're a little hesitant about it, Mr. Simos is uh, very validating of that opinion, even though it may not be something he personally agrees with. Um, and he'll always let you have a chance to explain your opinions rather than just rejecting them based Based on preconceptions that he might have. Uh, that's, that's great. Uh, well, what would you uh, say about that same uh, statement in terms of your comfort level with participating in these discussions? Yeah, I would agree. I think the uh, the classroom, like this classroom, is a great place for political discussion because, like, when you go home and like you turn on the news, you either like you're turning on the news and you're listening to like maybe a like a station that you agree with and like it's like an echo chamber of your own ideas you're not being challenged at all and then like if you turn on the other one you're just being told you're an idiot so like when you're here you're like your your views are either supported or challenged but they're never like ridiculed and I think it's a great place to have a discussion. I definitely agree. So let's put on the table because I I know you both as students here at the high school but I don't know your political affiliation so I'm curious like what where do you lean and so that we as an audience can kind of understand. Will we can start with you. Um, I think I'd be more conservative, I think, well, more libertarian. Um, I think that uh, limited government is definitely better for America and the way that it runs. Because um, I think the more the government gets involved, the more things tend to get messed up in this country. And I think the more freedom we have, the better off we are. Um, I'd consider myself leaning liberal. I have a very strong liberal influence at home in the form of my parents. Um, but I think that I'd like to be better educated about politics before I fully decide on where I lean. Like I, I pre-registered as no party um, just because I feel like my opinions might vary from issue to issue and I may have an opinion that surprises myself. Well, that's great. I appreciate you being honest about where you stand. And as this conversation wears on, please, you know, include some of your uh, thoughts. Coach, I want to direct a question to you. In terms of your role as a public school teacher, it's really difficult. We're in a position where we need to educate the masses uh, regarding the ins and outs of, in particular, this class. But we need to slow ourselves from sharing our opinions as not to, um, you know, kind of color uh, where the students are going to go with, with what they think is, is the right thing or the wrong thing. So how do you navigate that and, and what strategies do you use to make sure that the students will be informed but in a manner that allows for them to come up with their own opinions? Uh, I think it's a challenge because I'm, um, I have very, very strong opinions on most things, as you know. Um, so uh, it, uh, to not put that out there is, is a challenge. Uh, I'm also... Um, I think fairly adept at playing devil's advocate and offering the other, the other side. There really isn't um, any point of view that doesn't have a, a, a cogent response. Um, 
And one of the things that, you know, I don't know if they've, we've gotten to that point yet, but I try to um, illustrate to the kids is the, the necessity to engage the other side, to realize that really, really smart people hold an opinion that's opposite yours, and there must be uh, a reason for that. I, I think that my favorite uh, example of that is no matter where they stand on a political issue, there's four incredibly intelligent Supreme Court justices that disagree with them at minimum, and that's a, a good start point to know that we probably don't have all the answers. Yeah, that's a really nice way to frame it. Now, can the students, do you have any examples of topics that have come up this year that you felt like the class did either a good job or maybe not such a good job in respecting one another's opinions? Like, was there a, a debate or a conversation that happened that either felt really happy or like, oh boy, I'm not sure if that went well. I'm curious. Um, I feel like very recently when we were talking about the um, question three, whether to vote yes or no on it, and we took a class vote, I think our discussion was very good and very enlightening there. Um, we watched some ads for each side, and it was opened up to the class um, for questions or comments about what they thought. And I feel like everyone was very respectful of everyone else's opinions. Like. Um, they recognized the other side's views as valid, but they also were able to provide a, an eloquent explanation for why they thought their side was the better way to go. And I thought that was very comforting um, in some ways because of the divisive political climate that we have. Well, that's a great example, Sage. And, and I, for years, have been saying that this generation, I think you're all known as millennials, I just feel very strongly that your, your whole gamut of, of beliefs are grounded in respect for differences. And uh, that's unique to this country. I think differences have threatened Americans for many generations. And your particular uh, group doesn't seem to be as scared of them as others. And I think that's going to serve you well as you move on. And I'm happy to hear that discussions like that can occur in our school where people are feeling respected. Will, did you have an instance this year where, where one way or the other you felt about a conversation in class? I think um, our discussion of the Kavanaugh hearing was like, was very respectful. I thought it was like very civil because like if you like go out like um, go out into the real world like if you like you more like sided with Kavanaugh you're getting yelled at by one group of people. If you're against him you're getting yelled at another, by another group of people but in here I felt like we were able to have civil discussion about the whole thing and it was is good. So, well, because th we talked to the studio audience earlier and they asked for some prompts of uh, what it is they'd like to hear about. And one student had asked, is it difficult to be a conservative in a blue state? And if you're kind of uh, right leaning, you mentioned more of a libertarian, but is it within the classroom you feel okay? Well, what about outside the classroom? What about within the school in general and in the community? Are you feeling comfortable with the beliefs that you have in regards to how government should go? Not always. Uh, sometimes I feel like it's tough to um, kind of state my beliefs in like public spaces because of like fear of ridicule. Because I feel like a lot of people will take like what you say just like without explanation and just like form their own opinions about you before even hearing your explanation for it. Um, and I, sp I think that's especially tough in a blue state like Massachusetts because um, uh, at least in my own mind, like my opinions have. A reasonable basis. I don't think like, like I don't know. There's certain opinions where s someone, I don't know. Like my my standpoint on um, on abortion, I'm more pro-life. People might sit like, out of the blue, just be like, "Oh, you're sexist," but I don't think that's like that's not where I stand. I don't. That's not my reasoning for being pro-life. I have a very different reasoning for that. I have 
I feel like I have a very logical reasoning for that. Uh, I'd like to jump in on that. And, and that's a common concern. Um, and we're trying to talk, we talk often about um, not judging people's opinion and making those preconceived notions about it without knowing their why. Because um, it's not always about the result, it's, it's how they arrive there, whether or not they, and the issue, you know, abortion's a great one. Uh, but the other issue that we talk about consistently is uh, that of gay marriage, because it's a great example where it might be a little easier publicly to side with gay marriage as, as opposed to being uh, perceived as a bigot. Uh, when a lot of people arrive um, at that viewpoint just simply believing that it should be made at the state level. Uh, could be accepting, could be completely open, could have family members in the same situation, but they just think it's a it's a state issue. So find out the, the why instead of just the, the bottom line. If I could add to that as well, I think something that Mr. Simo said in class that really stuck with me is if you agree with one side on one thing, they'll automatically assume that you agree with all of the other things as well. Um, and I think that that's like very very true with what will was saying as well like um if he has a contrary belief people will often probably think that he believes all of the opposite things that they believe or all of the same things that they believe as well and i think that that can be really tough to navigate just because of like um just because of all the people who side with their party just because it's their party um, I think that in order to have a more respectful political climate outside of the classroom, um, people need to realize that um, people can be coming from a lot of different areas on a lot of different issues. Well, I have to say, I mean, I hope that people beyond our community listen to this exchange because, if, if frankly, we are uh, modeling, in my opinion, how we as a nation should interact around difficult conversations in politics. Like, very peaceful. We have two, three different opinions here at the table, and, and yet we're all kind of peacefully looking at one another, enjoying this conversation. But I want to kind of like crank up the uh, discussion a bit, and, and let's get into uh, something maybe your generation will, will have a connection to, our president's Twitter game. Okay, so he has used Twitter in a manner that uh, the previous two presidents who had Twitter as well weren't really comfortable using. That would be George uh, uh, Bush and, and Barack Obama. They weren't using it as a means that President um, Trump does. And so I'm curious about your personal opinions about his Twitter game and or that of uh, your classmates. You've heard, you know, people uh, at lunch or, or, you know, around town talk about it. So what, what's your general take on, on, that, on that medium of communication? Um, I think that something that caught my attention a while ago is that um, there was this whole thing about how President Trump wasn't allowed to block people anymore on Twitter because even if they were like like slandering him and like harassing him a lot, it's he's using that platform as a form of like presidential communication and all the people should be entitled to be privy to that information. So I think that it comes with some upsides and it comes with some downsides. For example, it's a very effective way of um, communicating information to the masses, but it also comes with um, all of the dangers and or benefits of typical online communication. Like, if Donald Trump wasn't the president, I think some of his tweets would be funny, but like... For the most part, I think what he's saying is ridiculous considering his position. Like, um, I do agree with like some of the the policy that his administration is passing, but his rhetoric is just, I think it's just ridiculous most of the time. Uh, I don't agree with a lot of what he says over Twitter, but 
um, in terms of what he's doing like action-wise and actually doing policy-wise for the country, I do agree with some of that. He's a great example of the, uh, the how rather than the what uh, because <laughs> it's hard to get to the what sometimes through the, uh, through the different tactics he uses. Yeah, it's definitely I mean, polarizing. I mean, I, I, I have a Twitter account, and there are times in, you know, over a week or month when something occurs, and I feel pressure to like or retweet a message so as to show other people who may be following me, like, how I stand on this issue. I don't really know if that's my role or responsibility, but I, I feel like I should check in on it. And I have to say, I struggle to pick who can I you know, sh support or sh show uh, a liking to, literally with liking a tweet or uh, – but – because it, it makes me feel, in my role, like I don't want to show my hand who I'm supporting because I want people to feel like no matter what, I'm going to support them as, as students here at the school or families within the community. So I do find that to be uh, a challenge. And, I mean, I agree. I've, I've read underneath President Trump's tweets, some of the responses are horrifying what people say to him as a human being. Uh, it's not <laughs> the level of communication we're having. It's far beneath that. Whether or not you agree or disagree with the, the picture or message he sent, I, I just I don't see how, as a country, we're going to move in the right direction when we are, we're so in the gutter uh, with our communication. That, to me, is frustrating. Um, just because I, I, I think we're better than that as a nation. And I'm seeing that here in your eyes in the class and in listening to what you have to say. But, um, okay, I was curious about your, your take on that. He's definitely not afraid to use different strategies. And I think as a student of politics, you've studied different administrations and the way in which they've gone about leading the country. And I, I wonder uh, what the historians will write about this um, you know, leadership team. So are there any, uh, as, as the studio audience, we've set up a, a chair with a microphone. Please feel free to, to step up if you have a, a pointed question for any of the members of the group here. I have an idea who might step up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so what I would personally have to say is that it doesn't really come as that much of a surprise to me. Uh, historically, every time there's been a switch in the communication of how politicians communicate with civilians, there's always been so. For instance, you had like Calvin Coolidge and FDR, they started using the radio to get their points across and really expand their audience. People had resistance to it. When JFK used the TV, people had resistance. And I think that this is just another step in the way of how communication is changing. I'm really surprised that like not uh, any previous administrations began to take a part of this. I mean, you know, 95% of the country owns a smartphone. So the fact is like when Trump tweets something out, it's not just on Twitter. Fox News is reporting on it, CNN. People have the news app on their iPhone. So I'm kind of surprised that guys like George Bush and Barack Obama didn't start uh, using similar methods in their administrations in their times, yeah. I agree. I think it definitely comes with a lot of benefits. Um, but I think that some of the challenges of Twitter aren't just like who follows him and who sees his tweets. For example, the character limit on Twitter, there's only so much that he can put into one tweet. And with that, he might have to shorten some words. It may appear unprofessional. It's very easy to misspell things when you're tapping on your phone. The whole Kafefe scandal sort of shows that a little bit. Um, so I think that if it is going to be an effective form of presidential communication, which I'm definitely not against, um, I think that there are probably some ways that he would have to improve it. There might have to be some stan standards that have to be set um, in order for it to be really effective and good for the people. Yeah, and like I think 
People nowadays have such a short attention span that like these shorter messages are what people are looking for. So I think that's why it's been so effective. Um, so I think it can be effective um, in its use, but it also like because of how powerful the tool it is, you have to be careful about what you're saying on there. Because like, I don't know, there's just been a lot of ridiculous things said on Twitter by some very powerful people, and um, it can lead to some. Well, I mean, I would things. say like. For me, what I've observed is that it's kind of been the same way for years. It's just a, we're in the era of post-truth politics. And so nowadays, it's not really on the what exactly. It's more about appearance and kind of those one-liners and getting it across. If you, for example, this was also in the debates, if you look at it, like presidents aren't out there, like presidential candidates aren't out there trying to, you know, explain how their system of tax cuts is going to, you know, spur economic growth. What they're trying to do is just trying to gain that kind of appearance because they know that a lot of their audience isn't necessarily super, super politically educated and on a lot of their issues. So they know that they can get across, you know, three to four words that kind of get their message across and how they want to appear on TV. That's the whole kind of, you know, goal. So it's more about appearance than it is really about the information. You raise a good point, John, and you wonder about the electorate and whether or not we're spending an amount of time necessary to be truly informed, or are we just that short of attention span uh, learners where we need pictures in 140 characters to help describe something as complicated as an economic system. Uh, clearly, for those of you who are studying this, you know it takes months and weeks to, to learn some of these systems, and that's just at the like the foundational level, uh, and, and I, I think that's a that's an issue that we as an electorate have in terms of how do we gain an understanding of the question, the ballot question, the who is representing us and what stance do they have and do people have enough time? I mean, I don't know about, I know you as early voters, you're busy with athletics and jobs and going on to college and then in my pl place in life, I'm scrambling around dragging my kids to dance and hockey and all these other things. I don't have unknown hours to kind of digest all of their opinions and where they stand on all these important issues, which is the reality of who you're voting for. But then there's the, the 24 hour uh, in a day deal kind of gets in the way of some of that research. So well, thank you very much, John. And Will ref uh, referenced it earlier, um, <clears throat> similar to uh, what he was saying, was talking about preaching to the choir. And we tend to listen to the people who, you know, speak to our opinion the most and what we are trying to do here and we will try more in the second semester is to quote unquote engage the enemy and and listen to um oppositional opinions um finding those sane oppositional opinions are difficult you know sage broached the subject of a uh, a weekly or monthly newsletter coming out from me to to give kids options on sources um which we're going to hopefully work on and do that but it's, um, it's a difficult climate because even the president's most um, vocal critics use the same type of language that he uses in criticizing, which doesn't help the, help the dialogue at all. Well, that's a, it's an interesting point. And another question that came up earlier from the studio audience was how to understand the alternate perspective. And I'm asking both of you, what do you do to prepare yourself to understand what strategies do you use to keep your mind open to the idea that just what you believe isn't necessarily the truth and that there could be you know, some, some other uh, information that you might want to filter in as well? So another tool that he's provided us is um, a website called uh, realclearpolitics.com. And like on the very front page, it provides you like a list of articles. And every other article is an article from opposing views. So you have one from like New York Post, New York Post, and then the New York Times. And then like 
it'll just alternate. It'll be like conservative, liberal, conservative, liberal, and then anywhere in between. And like it gives you an opportunity to, to uh, take in information from either side and it like allows us to keep an open mind. I it's think, yeah, it, it's definitely a really great resource. I think one thing that I especially like about Gov is we do this activity called Meet the Press occasionally. And I think that people, um, people in the quote unquote real world sort of struggle sometimes to see the other side as like as human as they are because of these wildly differing opinions and they make all these assumptions about like what terrible people they must be. But um, Meet the Press is sort of an activity where uh, a few students sit down and Mr. Simos asks them questions, not about politics, but just about who they are as a person. And I was part of the first one. Um, I was one of the few students getting asked questions. And I feel like I came away really knowing a lot more about um, the students that were getting asked questions with me. Um, and I think it sort of helped me really remind myself that everyone is a complex human with a lot of different reasonings and emotions behind their decisions. Um, and I, I feel like Meet the Press is a really great activity to sort of illustrate that it is about the how and not about the why. Oh, that's good. It sounds like an, I've visited in the past when he's had that lesson going on. It is. It's great. It's interesting. I feel like the students enjoy those moments. I personally alternate. My kids go to bed between 8 and 9 each evening. And so I'll switch between Fox News and MSNBC to try to get both perspectives. Although I have to be totally honest, I, I am like sometimes I'm like, am I living in the same country? Because both channels decide to frame and report in such wildly different ways with the exception of like a presidential press conference where that's the only person speaking and both networks carry it, uh, there's very uh, limited opportunity to even believe it's the same language being spoken, never mind the same information. So I don't know how helpful it is, but it just keeps me fresh in the idea that whichever one I really enjoy the most isn't necessarily what everyone's thinking is happening right there. And so in there lies the challenge of coming up with your own opinions, which I guess is what we should all do as, as individual voters. So I guess we're kind of coming to an end here of our time together, but I wanted to give people an opportunity to, uh, you know, make any last statements about, in, in my opinion, the big takeaway here is how we go about uh, communicating with respectful discourse and, um, and anything along those lines or any other questions that we didn't have a chance to, to chat about. I'm just very excited for a lot of these kids in the second half of the year when we do Supreme Court cases, <clears throat> which sounds dire to them, uh, probably memorizing about 40 cases. It'll be something I think that it'll be the single thing that they take away from uh, this course. That, that, that's what history's told me, that to hear how these decisions were arrived at, how thoughtful they were and not just sound bites, um, I think they'll leave with a, with a broader perspective and tolerance. I think that the reason that I took this class is I wanted to be more educated about politics and our political system because I feel like the large majority of people are very ignorant on how some of the nuances work and I wanted to be less ignorant and I feel like I'm definitely on the way. I think that taking this class has helped me approach things with a new perspective and I wanted to pose the same question to Will about why he took this class because I'm interested. Um. I took this class just because, like, politics is something of, like, great interest to me. I've always been, well, not always, but, like, over the past year or so, I've been getting more interested in politics, and I think 
I didn't, as like as Sage said, I wasn't very educated on how our government was actually run. Like I was just kind of, before this class, I was just kind of listening to things that kind of supported my viewpoint so I could strengthen like my own viewpoints without really challenging them. And I think that it's great that when I come to this class, I have an environment where my ideas can be challenged, but they won't be ridiculed and I won't be told I'm an idiot, but I also won't be told that like I'm a genius and have no opposition to my viewpoints. I think it's also helping me be less complacent because if there's something that I see that I don't really like about how our country is run or decisions that have, that are being made, I feel like I'm being given a lot of tools to help raise awareness for why it should be changed or what can be done about it. Well, that's excellent. It's nice that you have students that are so thoughtful about the reasons they're taking their class. So They're hard to teach when they're <laughs> smarter than you are. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you all for participating. I know there were a few students who really wanted to get into some of the nitty-gritty about, you know, my opinion or our opinion on gun control and pro-life and pro-choice, and I'd be happy to have some of those conversations offline, but I'm not sure if this is the best uh, place for me to get into those, And uh, but I did appreciate those questions coming up. And once again, it's just another example of, of why I come to the high school every day with a smile on my face, because I know the type of great work that's going on inside of our classrooms, and I thank you all for being a part of our podcast. Hopefully uh, your classmates will tune in and uh, your parents in the greater community. So with that, we'll turn it back to Evan. Uh, thanks a lot. Thank you, Mr. Hanner and Mr. Simos, as, as well as the different students that participated. We appreciate the feedback in a very uh, interesting and engaging conversation. And thank you all for listening to another episode of the 90 Hayden Row podcast. As always, if you have feedback for us or anything that you want us to, to talk about as a, as a topic or people you'd like us to interview, please reach out to us. We always enjoy the feedback. With that said, I hope everybody has a wonderful day. Thank you for listening, and go Hillers.